Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 74 here on Thursday, March 10th. I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm not Andy Gibb. <laughs> and this day in history, <laughs> poor Mr. Gibb died. Yeah, he left. He left us. In the, I don't even know what year. I can't remember. 1980. So. Who knows? 82? Probably. Yeah, something like that. So, announcement. <laughs> Yes. It is um, our last episode here in the AEA studios. We'll be moving offices this weekend. But the good news is we have a, we'll have a new and improved studio. Because we're not going to have new and improved hosts and guests. No. Co-hosts. That's not going to happen. But our producer is working hard to, to give us a new look. Really? You and me a new look? Not us. Okay. the studio. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, there's nothing going on in the world, and energy is not an issue. So um, it's a good thing we we have the American Energy, energy Alliance Unregulated Podcast, because there's nothing to talk about, right? There's a couple of things going on. Uh, let's see. Uh, I will start with a clip. Inflation front, no good news. Food up 1%, likely to go higher. I am uh, struck, still struck by the uh, conversation I had with the economics minister of Ukraine uh, uh, earlier this week where he told me that this is the planting season in Ukraine. And if it's not planted now, it's not coming. And that a lot of the, uh, the land that they uh, farm there is in places where there's military activity. Food away from home a little bit better, zero for apparel up strong. Uh, gas up 6.6% now. Uh, estimates are that it goes up 20% in the next month. Apparel up 0.7%. Also, with this whole idea of, of prices are rising, we were not in a good place going into this inflation-wise. We will be in a worse place, at least in the months ahead, Joe. True, right? Numbers out today, but hey, it's not Joe Biden's fault anymore. Yeah, and what's the biggest number in 40 years? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, this part is all Joe Biden because we didn't start this. I mean, the war in Ukraine didn't start until two weeks ago, so yeah. Oh, no, but it. This is the January. The war print. started when the troops, when the buildup became. This is the January. Print. Which was 75 days ago, Mike. And so, therefore, none of this is in Joe Biden's control. You know what I like? You know this is this is this is um, this is a, a pretty a pretty clear sign that you have a hopeless political opponent when um, when they blame circumstance, right? It's not my fault. It's circumstances' fault because the first question most Americans ask right after that is, "Okay, what'd you do then?" Yeah. What'd you do what are you going to do about it? What are right. you going to do about it? Well, let, let me let me do one more quick go, one I'm from our have, friend Rick Santelli. Hold on. This inflation news is going to be tough for the administration. Nothing, Joe, nothing has been more politicized than inflation. Just let's hearken back to all the things we've been through. First, it was transitory. Then inflation is good. Then we went to corporate greed. Now we're at Putin. Yeah, he, you know, we're, it's we're, like, you remember those? Those songs with the little follow the bouncing yeah, follow ball? The bouncing ball sure. <laughs> it's like, Showing this our is what it feels like. Uh, Rick Santelli is, of course, a great American. Um, yeah, it, it what the Biden, I, I don't I don't understand these guys. They're just not good. What the Biden guys don't get is it almost doesn't matter. They're going to get blamed for it all anyway. They might as well just take it like like manfully and move on. This idea of like, well, it's Putin's fault. It's the energy company's fault. It's the meatpackers fault. It's this guy's it, fault. It's the other guy's fault. It, nobody cares. You're in charge. It is precisely because they live on Twitter. Yeah. They think you do a hashtag Putin's 
pay hike and they won the day. Yeah. Right. Yeah, man. That's, that's where they're, that's that, where they that, are. That's good insight. Cause that's true. Right. They, they, these, I mean, the chief of staff legitimately has a Twitter account he uses, which is just crazy. It's just, I can't even imagine. Like if you're not actually busy enough doing your job, maybe you should step out and let somebody else do it. To get a sense where the folks are, uh, let me play a clip here. Fox News did some man on the street. And of course, I had to pick New Yorkers, right? First person on the street. Well, they, 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 the show's in New York. So generally. I know, but. Although, truthfully, if they walk out on Sixth Avenue, there may be tourists. So. All right. Well, let me, let me play this. Joe Biden says you're polluting if you don't drive an electric car. What do you have to say? How am I going to work? He needs to keep in mind he's been rich forever. Like, a <laughs> lot of people can't just, oh, no, yeah, I'm just going to switch to a Tesla. He better focus to the gas price, not about the pollution. So if he's going to support us and um, basically give us some electric cars, I don't see why not, but yeah. he ain't giving nobody a car. It's pretty accepted that we all pollute as part of our lives. <laughs> Everybody else is polluting now. You're polluting if you do a lot of things. I don't really care what Biden says, to be honest. Joe Biden doesn't know what he's doing and what he's doing to this country. Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know about the last guy, right? This is. I know, we'll probably edit that. It's out. a reason. It's a reason why New Yorkers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that whole that whole string. Yeah. That whole string is why I, I love living in America. I love the representative government. I love the idea that you know citizens pretty much make up their own minds about what they think about things, and the propaganda almost doesn't matter a lot of times. You know, it's just a relentlessly practical country. Hey, hey, we're all polluters. Hey, yeah. if they're going to give me a free car, I'll take a free car. Yeah, let me let me do Sergio from Ohio real oh, quick. Oh, yeah. Too. Really quickly, I want to introduce you to Sergio here. Because the other big issue today is gas prices. And Sergio, you were just telling me, you know, they say it's easy. Gas prices are going up. Buy an electric vehicle. Not too easy in your mind. No, I mean, who can really afford it? I mean, they're so out of touch with reality. It's just ridiculous. Sergio should so, be running for Congress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to be better. And by the way, this was the subject of the of the. This is the Democrats' response to the run up in gas prices and WTI hitting one twenty plus. Sure. We need to secure our EV future. Yeah, I mean, look. Again, you know they they seem to think that propaganda is going to defeat reality. Hey, this. The, the administration's pitch is pretty simple. This is um, all reason why we should accelerate our energy transition and go to a different energy future and blah, blah, blah. And most Americans looking at it like, this is a reason why you guys should get off your lazy asses and start, start making it easy to explore for, find, and produce Oil and natural yeah. gas. We're gonna do a little. We're gonna do a little uh, a montage of a montage of, of something. Joe French? Biden. A montage. Uh, but, but but the reason I brought up is because as you know, uh, I testified in front of the subcommittee on energy and commerce this week, and Excellent. the subject was wait a minute, EVs. wait a minute. Let me just stop you. You testified very subcommittee very well on energy of the House. I energy couldn't and care commerce less about committee. the official title. I just wanted to get in the fact that you did a great job. That's well, I appreciate it, my friend. I do. Um, and you know, the subject of the hearing was securing American manufacturing well, and our EV future. Well, we kind of veered off a little bit, <laughs> didn't we? <laughs> We're gonna put my testimony in the show notes. It is worth the read. It really is. It is, and and. Um, the Democrats basically ignored me, but um, the Republicans didn't. And here's one quick exchange. We cannot do anything without energy. Mr. Pyle, I, you touch on it in your testimony, but I wanted to expand about the role of 
affordable, reliable energy for economics. So, uh, supply security, of course, is a part of that. On Sunday, the Financial Times of the UK reported that Europe faces building material shortages as energy prices soar. Natural gas prices are nine times higher than a year ago, and now fertilizer prices are also soaring. So much is connected to energy supplies here, and an anticipated long disruption will make matters even worse. Would you speak some more about uh, energy security, its role in our nation's energy policy, and then what we need to learn? Do you think Europe has learned its lesson around rushing to green, while shutting down other energy supply before they had the capacity to ensure energy security. Sure. I mean, energy security is everything, right? Because energy is an input cost to, to every single thing, food, transportation, obviously utility bills. People are struggling right now. The price of, of gas is as high as, as most people can remember. Um, and, and that has a, a really difficult impact on their budgets. But more importantly, if you look at what's happened in Europe, um, this rush in Europe to green the, the grid, to, to, to convert to, to renewables, this energy windy in Europe, in Germany, for example, um, this invasion is a huge wake-up call. It, it, it took, unfortunately, this for Europe to recognize that they were moving way too fast. They weren't investing in diversification of their supplies of resources. They became dependent to the tune of 40% um, on Russia for their natural gas. And that is why they're not going to lift, they're not going to impose sanctions on that energy. They reiterated that again today. So that revenue is fueling this, this very same conflict that's happening in Europe right now. It goes on a little bit more. And I talk about the fact that we get 80% of our energy from three sources globally, which is the same roughly that we got 40 years ago. And even though EIA and the rest of the world is lousy at making predictions, they peg the, the, the energy consumption in roughly 40 years from now at yeah, 80%, about 80%. 80%. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> this whole energy transition thing is ridiculous. Well, it's, you could, it's hooey. It's nonsense. You could hear from the man on the street stuff, sure, right? Like, sure. it's almost like they're pushing it so hard that people are no longer caring that they pollute. You remember, we do all these focus groups, sure. right? Yeah. And people are always like, well, I care. I want to do something. I recycle. So I recycle. I recycle. Or, wow, you know, when you ask them what kind of cars they have, they're like <laughs> embarrassed, right? Oh, I drive an SUV. You're like, what? 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 Can you speak up a little bit? It, it. But now it's almost like they're like, you know what? Whatever. I, we, all, we all make, you well, know. That's we, the, that the real risk of propaganda is. It people eventually stop listening to it. They they've just put an enormous discount on it, and they may they may parrot it in public, but privately inside their heads, they're like, "This is all nonsense." And and uh, that person questioning you was um, Congresswoman McMorris Rogers, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, not exactly the most rabid right winger in the caucus. Um, oh, but you know, she asked you the right question. She. And, and they then, all did. And then Fred Upton asked yes. you the right question. And, and I was amazed by it, right? There yeah. was there was no Oh, how to say this the right way without hurting anybody's feelings. There was there's a there's there there a re recognition in the party that yeah. they were playing footsie. 
with the wrong guys. With the, the trying guys to sort of massage things. themselves around some of these these yeah, issues. That's true. And I didn't get that at all. You didn't I mean, get it any, was a full house. It was. You didn't get any questions about trillion trees? No trillion trees. Quarter carbon. No carbon. No CCS. No. It was really? pure energy. We need it now. We need to get off. The, it was you know, good. Get off. It the, was. It know. was so, good. It, it was good and clear. And the reality of it is, your testimony and your answers to the questions led to that, added and and built upon that clarity. Right. Thank you very kindly, sir. Um, of course, the administration is on a in a full court press to to not only deflect responsibility, but also to a push. Uh, responsibility onto the oil companies for quote unquote not you know engaging on their leases that they've gotten from the government yeah and um they're doing this whole like well this just means we got to get off of this stuff here's our buddy brian deese yeah man blackrock brian deese blackrock brian i think it's the, the the path and the trajectory is clear there is no amount of domestic production that we can do when we're dealing with a volatile global commodity where the price is set globally. There's no amount of domestic production we can do to reduce or eliminate our vulnerability as a country to that volatility. The only way to do that is to reduce the energy intensity of the economy overall, which means shifting to cleaner sources of energy. Yeah. Can we just go on that for one second? You, let's do it. So I, that's the first time I've heard that clip. I, I was aware he said it, the first time I've heard it. Um, you will recall that his former boss um, said something very similar at the back end of his administration, um, President Obama, right? That we, yep. we could not drill our way to lower oil prices. And yet- We um, did. We did. The hydraulic fracturing revolution, shale revolution, led directly to, of course- Lower oil and gas prices, gas price, natural gas prices here in the states, um, lower oil prices everywhere on the planet. Right, um, Mr. Deese is wrong. It's inaccurate. If if we, the United States, has the potential to be the swing, we're, we're down one and a half million barrels a day. And you know, but that's almost the wrong way of thinking about it. It's not what we're down off of our peak production. It's that. Peak production was nowhere near what our peak what production could, could have been. That's right. right. And um, we were just starting to wind our way out of it. And and here's the important thing, and, and you harped on this too in your column in the in the Washington Times. It is the sum total of the onslaught yeah, man. against the industry, the defamation, the you know, as as what did they what did what do what do they expect? Yeah. Out of the industry, when everything that they're hearing is, we want to bury you in this country. Well, and they're continuing. In this particular interview, D said that that the future was clearly not fossil fuels. Right? Okay, this is a guy who comes out of um, the investment world, right? BlackRock, Brian. Um, this is a guy who's the chief of the National Economic Council. If you're if you're a wildcat or sitting out there in West Texas or in Utica or um, Haynesville or any of these places, you're like, okay, I'm going to just take that. I'm going to hoard my money and wait for the Republicans to show up. That's right. And that's exactly what's going on. But what I'm saying is, Deese is wrong. United States could be the swing producer on this planet if it wanted to, if it chose to be. But Mr. Biden and his team are never going to let that happen under their watch. The yeah. funny thing is, and this is important to remember, right? When Mr. Biden took office, the day he took office, um, 
crude was trading at uh, I think fifty three bucks. Right, the day the invasion started it was trading at ninety nine bucks. Yep, it's been a steady uphill run, and it and the thing is. The fundamentals haven't really changed all that much. It's a steady uphill run because everyone is betting on the psychology of government policy. I mean, there's some supply and demand, always is, yeah. but the but the, at the marginal, you're not getting yeah. any of the margins. And, and we've got the crude prices before the invasion because I guarantee you it wasn't fifty two dollars a barrel right. uh, like it was on January twentieth, twenty twenty one. That's right. These guys are well. They're flat different. out lying about about it. They're, you know, they're they're doing what they should do is to try to like well, they dodge. Have, they have no good answer. Right. 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 They're terrible people. I just want to say that right now. Yeah. Okay. So um terrible, terrible, terrible. President Biden said recently, actually, just let me play the clip. Look, let me be clear about uh, two other points. First, it's simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production. That's simply not true. That's a lie. That's an inaccuracy. I don't. I don't want to say that he does. He's not aware of that. It, it's an inaccuracy. He could be, be being told that. That's correct. Yeah. Okay, but also they've gone beyond that to say that they, you know, um, are encouraging. You know, uh, Secretary Jenny uh, down in Sierra, which is now I guess Climate Week, said, "Oh, we need you guys to step up to the plate. We need you to do stuff, right? Blah blah blah." Is this chuckling, Secretary Jenny? I was told we shouldn't call her Secretary Jenny because it's disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Remember that That's was hilarious. Re- remember what that what that was in response to, right? Yeah. What the, the, the guy asked what 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 the administration was going to do about rising oil and gas prices. Yeah. I wanted to go back in time a little bit and pull up a couple of statements from Joe Biden. Number yes. one. No more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. Couldn't be any clearer, girls. I I think that was Joe Biden. Couldn't be any clearer during a campaign, right? It was a campaign stop. It was a, a debate. It was it during one of the debates. Bernie. Yep. He was trying to out anti-fossil Bernie. Yep. Right? There you go. And here's one more. Look, uh, number one, I think the way we deal with um, state lands is uh, we, we have less we have less uh, latitude, what we say we can and cannot do. I've argued against uh, any more oil drilling or gas drilling on federal lands that we can and, uh, and, 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 and to stop that. I think we should, in fact, be looking at what exists now and making a judgment whether or not the those, in fact, that are there, those wells that are there, whether or not they're dangerous, whether or not they've already done the damage, and what we can do from there by trying to change the attitude of the members of the of the governors of the various state and the state legislatures. Now, we could pass national legislation, but I don't think we'd get it done in terms of getting the votes to get it done to say all fracking that's going on now ends unless you can show there's some physical security need or worried about explosions, et cetera, which is a legitimate thing to worry about. Legitimate. But I would not allow any more. Yeah, legitimate. I would not allow any more fracking. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, uh, it- you saw it throughout the whole campaign, could, right? could, the, could, the entire campaign, all the debates. They were at, literally just out, trying to outdo themselves. Couldn't be any clearer. They called them criminals. Couldn't be any. Clearer. They should be criminally prosecuted. Couldn't be any clearer, ladies and gentlemen. You're and president. now they're price gouging, and now they're sitting on all this cash because why? They're greedy. It was right, Elizabeth Warren, windfall profits tax. 
You knew that was coming back. Oh, yeah. You know, if I was a Republican, I would seriously think about imposing some kind of tax on members of Congress. Call it a windfall gouging tax. <laughs> windfall gas bag. Like tax. for like for every for every for every billion dollars you guys are out of out of out of um out of balance, you know we'll we'll charge every member of Congress like fifteen hundred bucks. Basically, we're going to take your salary if you're more than a hundred billion dollars out of out of balance. Because if you think about who's gouging who in this country, I have bad news for you. Even if the oil companies are gouging people, it's like fifty billion dollars a year. The Department of Energy gouges everybody for that much every year. Just the Department of Energy. The whole government gouges you for $3 trillion a year. So remember, when people when you talk about people stealing your money, watch it all. All right. Um, real quick, uh, do you, that reminds me of the Department of Energy. The Secretary uh, of Energy was interviewed recently, and she had this to say. We don't, we don't import Russian gas at all, natural gas. We don't import coal. We're in a different position, and, and that's good for us. Yeah, I'm not sure that's right. It's not. I just thought I'd share that with everybody. Yeah, the I'm, Secretary I'm, of Energy is unaware that we, in fact, do import coal from Russia. Are you sure? That, but you, it's we, okay. We also almost certainly import natural gas from Russia. Um, is she... Maybe she didn't mean us. Maybe she meant Canada. Canada, her home country. She is from Canada. So. By the way, her her brother her brothers offered to bring oil here, and Joe Biden didn't accept it. But he's out seeking some Venezuelan oil as we speak. So. Um, yeah. Well, I just before we leave this topic, right? Um, two things. First off, our producers from Michigan, which is part Close of Canada, Canada, so we probably right. need to be careful. <laughs> um, <laughs> second, second. Um, the administration's hostile to just American oil and gas. Absolutely. Okay. They'll, they'll go get Saudi gas. They'll get um, gas from uh, one of the Emirates. They'll get it from Venezuela. Iran, Iran is Iran. next. They will, uh, Iran, right? They'll obviously get it from Russia, except if they get a political pressure from their own side. They will not get it from American oil and gas companies. And here is my insight for the day. Yes, sir. And I'm only, ready for it. I, I only think have, I know what you're going to say. I only, have the, I only have insights like once a week, but here it is. They need to cripple the American oil and gas industry right before this nonsense can this nonsense nonsense of a transition can happen, because as long as as long as we're pulling gas out of the ground for you know a quarter or for fifty cents whatever we're pulling out of the Permian, there's no way in the world you can make this transition seem like it's the right and, thing. And, to do. and high prices high is prices a feature, good. not a bug. Not a bug. Not a bug. It's feature, of not a bug. the forced energy transition. Yeah, you knock out the domestic industry here, to. and it's a cascading effect. They They'll take to. dirty oil in the short term sure. to keep the prices low, to keep the political pressure down. That's right. But ultimately, they want to bleed and cripple yeah. American energy workers, hard hat guys, People in in Middle America, yeah, they got to, they got, they have to before they can, they have to steamroll the opposition before they can establish the new regime. The thing is, is I hope the Republicans are going to stop talking about Keystone, except as part of this effort. Right? It's it's, it's a, not it's the a, answer. It's 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 an it's an answer. It's an example. It's a symptom. Yes. It's not the disease. Yes. Right? And I will say this: in just to put some historical perspective on this. The the Obama State Department signed off on this on this pipeline and said it was environmentally benign. Sure. Okay. And then the politics ramped up and 
President Obama sat on the permit for seven years. If he had permitted Keystone, 800,000 barrels a day from Canada would be flowing into the Gulf of Mexico. Sure, man. That's because we keep hearing their talking point. Well, even if we approved it today, we wouldn't see any oil for a really long time. doesn't matter. It's always the same, right? It doesn't matter. And we heard that with Anwar, too. Exactly. Even if we did it today, it would take 10 years. You know, my mom, real quick, right? my mom from Michigan, so near Canada, um, whenever we were considering doing something, you know, we talked to my mom about about going to school or doing this or doing that. And, you know, anytime we say, well, you know, take us so long to do, we, you know, we'd be like whatever age, 32 or 26 when we finished it or this, that, or the other thing. My mom, being a farm girl, would always say, how old are you going to be if you don't do it? Which was her way of saying, just suck it up. Do it or don't do it, but don't let the age thing get in your way, right? Get going on it. By the way, I don't have the clip, and I'll, I'll probably pull it up next week, but Joe Manchin. That's a threat, ladies and gentlemen. Joe Manchin just had a hearing. He's the chairman of the Energy and Natural Resource Committee in the U.S. Senate. He's a Democrat. And he actually, his opening statement rebutted all of the White House's Ridiculous talking points sure. about the 9,000 leases, which, by the way, for those who uh, – this is the, the administration's new get, jag as well. The oil industry is sitting on all these leases. Well, there's a couple reasons there are 9,000 leases. Historically, there's probably several thousand leases all the time, one. Two, the utilization rate is currently in the high 70 percentile. Yeah, I was going to say, let me just stop you right there for a second. Let, let me just get two more quick things. No, no, no. I want to, I want okay. to interrupt you right there okay. because that's the important number. See, the problem is, is that those of us who know something about the oil and gas business, and that's not me, but people who do, they always want to explain why you're not accessing those 9,000 leases. I don't think most Americans care. Here's the right answer. There are about 37,000 leases out there. We're producing about 75% exactly. of them. Exactly. These 9,000... They're ones that we're ultimately going to get to. Well, maybe. Some of them are dry if holes. They, if they make sense. Right. If and they make sense. But the idea that the way the administration makes it sound is that there, is there the, are 9,000 leases and you guys aren't doing anything yeah, on them. Yeah, of course. So and I, want the very, to focus. I want one more number, though. 4,000. The ducks. 4,000 permits are sitting on Joe yeah. Biden's desk. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say for okay. all. Okay. So all is 9,000 garbage. Go ahead and sign off on those four thousand leases I mean, on. on those four thousand permits, Uncle Joe. It it it's um, like I said, thirty seven thousand. Yeah, you're making you know making progress on seventy five percent of leases. And and, and, and and you know what? It's a sideshow. It doesn't matter. Of course it, it is. It, it, it is. It, it does. It doesn't. It has nothing to do with anything. Okay, so um, I also want to play this clip because I want people to remember that when Joe Biden. This was a speech on January 27th, 2021. Okay, so seven days in. Yeah. Well, this executive order I'm signing today also makes it official that climate change will be at the center of our national security and foreign policy. As Secretary Kerry, as our special presidential envoy for climate, with him, the world knows how serious I am about one of America's, <laughs> by appointing one of America's most distinguished statesmen, and one of my closest friends speaking for America on one of the most pressing threats of our time. Yeah. So I, I don't uh, the column that the column that is running under my name over my name in the, in the Washington Times today. 
um, makes a point about the Ukrainian thing and why we're all watching it. And one of the one of the points I make is is that now we actually know what an existential threat looks like. Bingo. You know, no one has said anything about climate change being an existential threat since the Ukrainian thing's been going no. on. No, and they're not going to because it's embarrassing for grown. That's people not to true. That, way. that is not true. Just today. Oh no! Please. Uh, some hardcore green organization uh, said brother. that we need to utilize the Defense Production Act. Yeah, to make heat to pump. accelerate. The clean energy transition now more than ever. So there are still a few. But they didn't use the existential threat. They didn't use that phrase, did they? The other thing we're not hearing, and this this too came up in the essay, is trigger. Like I've been triggered or trigger warnings because now people actually understand what triggers really lead to. This 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 war. This is a terrible thing to say, but it's true. This war, like all wars, is not all bad. It has salutary effects. And one of the salutary effects here is it's like America has, at least for this little two-week interval, has become a country of grown-ups. We're well, talking seriously n- about energy. Not, not the, currently, not all, not everybody. Yet. Oh, pretty I much. Mean, I, I, Except it, 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 the ones who aren't are located in the Biden administration. I was just going to say. Everybody and, else. But I also saw a whole bunch of ch- children the other day on Tuesday. On the other side of the podium. Oh, the Democrats. Yeah. In all fairness, you know there was a there was there a, were two that said we we definitely need to do both right now. Yeah, they like were, they were willing to go that far. Yeah, most of them were talking. There, there were a bunch of questions about union jobs and EV chargers and all that hoorah, <laughs> but nobody really lit into you. They're like, hey, dude, yeah. are you kidding me? Like, you know, we all agree climate change real. It, Democrats are kind of struggling around, yeah. scrambling around for an issue, for a for a, a way to grasp onto this issue that doesn't involve digging stuff out of the yeah. ground. Uh, I I just want to go back really quickly, and and I want to reemphasize how dangerous Ryan Deese is. Not dangerous, but recognize that he worked, he he did all this under Obama. Yeah, man. Then he sat over at BlackRock. Yeah, and managed all of this stuff for Larry. Yeah. And now he's sitting over in, in the White House and managing this stuff for for, for, yeah. for President Biden. Yeah. Well, I mean And he's if you if all you, in on this stuff, right? Well and National Economic Council chair. What are you saying? Are you saying that are you saying you can't trust a guy who worked for China's favorite investor? I'm just saying. You, you draw your own conclusion. Are you saying that, that are you saying that a guy who who made money and on genocide and slavery in China can't be trusted to sit at the head of the NEC. Is that what you're saying, Tom? I'm just saying. All right. So uh, the the reason for the um, January 27th clip was to remind folks that this was how the entire Obama administration wanted to orient their national security policy. I'm not sure it's working out so well. But fortunately, yeah. fortunately, the vice president. Oh, boy. There's is in is Poland yes. to help move things along over there. I'm very excited yeah. about this. This is oh, a big no. moment for her. Chris Cizilla. Yeah. Cizilla. The CNN guy. Is this Vice President Harris's moment? I am here, standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank, talking about what we have in terms of the eastern flank and our NATO allies, and what is at stake at this very moment. What is at stake this very moment? 
are some of the guiding principles around the NATO alliance. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> She's just so, I don't know. It's so bad. I don't know if I should be laughing. No, it's, it's beyond laughing because it's beyond laughing. It's so bad. It's just terrible. Why? Biden guys must really hate her guts. Because they just keep sending her to places where she can't hide, and she says stuff like that, and you're just like, oh, that's okay. so embarrassing. And, okay, first of all, Poland is stepping up in a big way. Poland is, right? a, Poland is a country of medium size next to Russia, which is a country. Crushing it, right? Taking in a million-plus refugees. Hey, I'm giving you MIGs. I want to give you the MIGs. I don't want them. I need some, I need some backup. I need some extra planes. Nope, NATO can't do that, right? So there's a joint presser in um, in Poland. Yeah. I'm going to play one clip from yeah, that. I know which one you're going to play. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Vice President. I wanted to ask you about some reporting that my colleague here in Poland noticed. He recently spoke with the mayor of the largest border town who told him that the refugee system is essentially not set up for this, that it will collapse. It's an improvised system that can work for maybe two weeks, but not indefinitely. And I'm wondering what the United States is going to do more specifically to set up a permanent infrastructure. And relatedly, is the United States willing to make a specific allocation for Ukrainian refugees? And for President Duda, I wanted to know if you think and if you asked the United States to specifically accept more refugees. Okay. <laughs> A friend in need is a friend indeed. <laughs> okay, so this time. Yeah, I, I. There's the cackle. Yeah. There's that nervous. I was going to say, I, I get it. It's a nervous tick, but by now. I'm going to say this again, and I'm getting tired of saying it. I know, I, brother. I, I keep bringing the, them up. They the, keep doing them. The, um, in a professional operation, um, they would have had a speech expert in to kind of iron that out, and they haven't. Obviously, this is the vice president of the United States, ladies and gentlemen. This is the second highest elected official in the country. A heartbeat away from a pretty old guy. I don't want to hear that because um, it's terrifying to think about. A friend of mine, um, a friend of mine, uh, made a made an observation that after I did a television hit recently that I say the word right at the end of sentences, mm -hmm. right? You do, actually, well, right? Yeah, I do, right? Right. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> it's it's 40 years of talking to idiot Hill staffers <laughs> and media types who don't know anything. So you get to the end of a sentence, you're say like, right? You're like, so right? So they, they cue and say, yeah, yeah, you're do, right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so since that fellow pointed it out to me, I've been trying to iron that right yeah, out I of I have my... a couple of uh, ticks Everybody well. does. Yes. That's my point. But it's Everybody... not a cackle. Everybody has a tick. It's not a thing unless you're on TV all the time, like the vice president of the United States. Yeah. Then you got to iron it out, right? Yeah, you do definitely need to iron it out, but you need a lot more than that. They're just you need terrible. a lot more than a speech coach. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's no, not no, doing no, any just, homework. Uh, Did she get briefing books? What? Does she? I mean, it's like what? What Tom, are these Tom, word salads Tom, all the time? Tom. Okay, moving on. Tom. One more clip, and then uh, you've got a you've got a laundry list of things we got to rifle through because it's you know uh, yeah, we this, gotta, we've been dragging we gotta on go. this one. Okay, he, we haven't heard from him in a while, um, so I wanted to play this clip just to kind of remind folks that uh, he's still in the mix. He's still in the mix, ladies and gentlemen. 
There was never anybody tougher in Russia than I was. And I would say that Putin would, if he was being honest, he would say that. Uh, the sanctions I put on, I was the one that ended Nord Stream. Exactly. Uh, there was never anybody even close. I mean, Nord Stream to them, Nord Stream 2 was the biggest thing. Nobody ever even heard of it until I came along and complained. And then I shut it down. And there was never anything so big that happened to Russia, shutting down Nord Stream 2. And then Biden came in and he opened it up almost immediately. I couldn't believe it. And now we are where we are. It's a disgrace. Uh, the other thing, uh, we are uh, and were just a little while ago, energy independent. We were producing more energy by far than Russia or Saudi Arabia. We we're going to be double the size of both in a very short period of time, probably by within 12 months. But we were energy independent for the first time in more than 72 years. And that was a killer for Russia because we brought the price of energy down. We were down for, at $30 a barrel, $32 a barrel, $40 a barrel. Exactly. And actually much less than that for a period of time. And nobody had ever seen anything. And that was... Uh, certainly tough for Russia and other countries because they had to go out and they had to compete with those prices. So, okay, could have said the same thing in about nine, you know, fifteen or eighteen seconds. But we all know the boss, he's, right? He's, so, not, he's not doing a podcast. He doesn't care, right? <laughs> it, it, um, yeah, he was right about most of that. The Nord Stream thing was a little bit, um, a little bit high on the propaganda scale, but yeah. The other thing too is, is I didn't play this, but because you can't the. You have to see it. You can't hear it. Do you remember the speech at the UN? Sure. With the Germans laughing at him. He nailed right down. He looked right. He said, this, you are blowing it. Yeah. You're putting all your eggs in Russia's basket. And I'm trying to help you guys, you know, from stepping in it. And they laughed at him. Sure, man. They laughed at him. Who's laughing now? Yeah, unfortunately. I I'm perfectly comfortable with the idea that the Germans and leaders and the German people deserve what they have asked for for all these mm -hmm. years and, and the you, way that they they're so smug these european these countries were like you know you remember the after paris right yeah i mean well, we're meeting the, okay again I, mean, I don't want to wander into paris i'm no, sorry i, I didn't mean I, that I, I, we're I, exceeding our tar you know we're ex we're the only we withdrew and we were a the on English, track or exceeding our, I'll our make pledges. Simple. I'll make it simple. These guys are way behind on them, and they screw their entire energy the, economy. The, the up. Americans and the United, the, the Americans and the British, the only people who are going to be even remotely close, right? Um, I also want to recommend a movie for everybody. It's the Americanization of Emily. It's made, I think, in 1964, right at the height of the Cold War. It's a story about an American soldier who falls in love with a. Um, with a British girl, but it's really about America and uh, Europe. And it makes a very American point that the Europeans are smug for no apparent reason, right? That somehow us poor, dumb, bumbling Americans have gone through and rebuilt the world and in our own image, essentially, and done it without Hitler or Stalin or Napoleon or any of these people that, that Mussolini, that the continent seems to breed every generation, Putin. Um, I appreciate the sentiment about the smug Europeans. I would note that it's mostly their leaders. Most European people are lovely, um, but they do seem to have a preference for really attitudinal leaders, and I don't understand why. Because yeah. I'm just like, what do you guys have to be proud of? The German political system... Yeah. As recently as in living memory, gave us Adolf Hitler. The Russian political system gave us Joe Stalin. I mean, the French political system, not in living memory, gave us Napoleon. 
I'm like, what are you guys proud of? What have you done to make you proud? Worst American? Worst worst product of the American political system in, in living memory? Might be Jimmy Carter. Might be the guy we got now. Friendly, bumbling, hopeless, you know, um, not good presidents. Not bent on world conquest and killing a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I so I remember the Germans laughing. I really and and it really sawed me off at the time. And yeah. I thought, good luck, because the Russians are going to come for you one day, and we're not going to be there to help. All right. Well, Sorry, you touched uh, no, hair. no, no. I'm glad you said it. This is what this this is this is great. This is what this podcast is all about, man. It's all about getting it out there, getting it out there. Doing the thing. view for middle aged white guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're running up on time. You got a laundry list. Let's do a rifle round. Uh, I got it. Actually, we've talked about most of it. We talked about the hearings, the other side's message, administration actions. One real quick thing on administration actions. Uh, we're going to put together a list of everything the administration has done that shows active hostility to American oil and gas. It's going to be long. Look, It is going to be long. Look for it on the American Energy Alliance website. Um, I'm going to write a column about it probably tonight, mostly because I don't have my column written for tomorrow. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um we didn't get to talk about the omnibus. We'll get that next week. It'll be fine. The m massive bus. Uh, which which angle are we going with here? On the massive bus? The the ridiculous like bifurcation yeah, yeah, of yeah, votes or I don't really care about right. any of that stuff. We're gonna we're gonna go on how the process has totally broken down and how the Democratic leadership didn't alert their members that this stuff was in there. They're just like, Yeah, right. you guys figured it yeah, out on well, your own. It's like when when and, uh, and then we're surprised. when Nancy said, We gotta pass the bill to find out what's in it. And and Welcome to Congress in the, the in the two thousand. The thing about the leadership is, okay. So what happened is the the pay for for COVID, for the for the COVID stuff, the extra money the administration wanted. The pay for was basically to sweep up money, unused money from the states. Needless to say, the House guys from the states from which the money was being swept were pissed, mostly because they weren't told. It was they found yeah. out about it, right? They read it. But like, some of it wasn't spent, or it was right. trickled differently. And so right. some of them, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So. Our money, by the way. So a bunch of people, yeah, I mean, right. So a bunch of people, um, a bunch of people, a bunch of Democrats voted no on what was supposed to be a bipartisan deal that Nancy Pelosi then couldn't um, couldn't cover. And the fundamental story, you know, it all gets fixed, right? But the fundamental of the story is this. Democratic leadership is too lazy to even make a phone call. That's the, We'll talk more about the omnibus next week. Trump the unifier, we'll talk about this next week too. It's become completely... Increasingly obvious that the literally the only thing that unifies the Democratic Party is opposition hatred for Donald Trump. Yep, which is odd because it's the only thing that splinters the Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. It very, but the split it's less of a splinter on our side. <laughs> it's very right. It's, it's, a, it's less of a problem on our side than it is on their right. side. But it's yeah. a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, so we're gonna talk about that some more. Baseball. Uh, they got good, a deal. Good or bad? Are we in favor of this? Or are we sick of it already? Uh, I have to look through the. The, the finer points. I what I don't want. I mean, what do I we, don't know is what the what rule changes they made. If you were if you were at a hundred two months ago, like hey, I'm really excited about baseball. Where you know? Oh, I'm like at sixty. Right. You're like yeah, okay. It'll it'll never be below fifty, but it's certainly These the guys. lowest it's been. My approval rating for MLB is at as 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 a record low for me. That's for sure. These guys seem to be on an on an endless. Ryan Manfred's terrible. These guys seem to be on an endless downhill run to become less popular than yep. soccer, if it's possible. They're harping on pace of play, and they're just missing the whole point. Uh, so. One last thing before we close on EV chargers. 
Um, seven point five billion in the houses, infrastructure bill. Right, seven and a half billion dollars in infrastructure bill. Houses all excited. Hey, it's five hundred thousand chargers, EV chargers. Two more numbers to give you some context on that. Is that a lot? Well, California thinks they need one point two five million just all by themselves. So yeah. we basically bought enough chargers for Northern California. Yeah, everybody knows this is just a the talking other, point. Then the other thing is the other number. How many chargers has California installed to date? 76,000. There you go. So they're San only... Francisco, LA, where <laughs> couple so they... in Bakersfield to try and get you in between <laughs> so... San Francisco and LA. So they're only 1.25 million off. It, I actually did not know this. Um, the fastest charger is is around 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. That's eleven minutes, right? Yeah, is it the fastest is eleven, but that's a, like a jet engine. Kind yeah, of deal. yeah. The one in the middle, the level two, the level two chargers, those will take you twenty to sixty to. Yeah, yeah. and the rest of them are two to six hours. Yeah, the rest of them are you got to plug yeah, in yeah, your you garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, yeah, it, that's going to go pretty well. It, when you hear the chargers, understand everyone's talking about level twos at yeah. this point because the level ones are threes, threes, whichever the other one is, too expensive. So yeah. anyway, California seventy six thousand installed, one point two to go. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Transition, you're, you're, trans, just suck it up and drive an EV, according to Mayor Pete. Then shut your mouth. Pete. Shut your mouth if you disagree. All right, that is that everything. That's everything. All right, it is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with this supercut. What is the grand old plan to increase oil production in America? <laughs> hilarious. We're transitioned from the oil industry, yes. The rise in gas prices over the long term makes it an even stronger case for doubling down our investment and our focus on clean energy options. It should motivate us to accelerate the transition to clean energy. We're working through an energy transition. And the reality is we have to take some time to get off of oil and gas. So the people from rural to suburban to urban communities can all benefit from the gas savings of driving an EV. What this actually justifies in President Biden's view is the fact that we need to reduce our dependence on foreign oil, on oil in general, and need to and we need to look at other ways of process of having energy. We are all in the midst of a turning point. Ladies and gentlemen, they want to transition from American oil to Chinese batteries. More on that in a future episode of the Unregulated Podcast in our new studios. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to leave a review. And don't forget, welcome any feedback at unregulated at energydc.org. Peace out. Namaste. Hey.